This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Joris Peels, and you're here again with Maxwell Vogue on the 3D Pod. Hey, everyone. And today we're very happy to have uh, Terry Wollers uh, with us. Terry is, uh, well, probably the preeminent consultant in 3D printing and has been doing uh, uh, the Wollers Report uh, for 25 years now. Always looked uh, forward to by investors and people in the business. And you have to buy it to figure out what happened last year and and what's going on and uh, all the predictions of machine sales and the analysis of all the things that are happening uh, on the market and uh, updates on the technologies and things that are going on. So that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's a really important. The Wallace Report is really important to our industry. It's kind of like a little yearly kind of Olympics for 3D printing where you figure out what's happening, what's going on, that kind of thing. And then, uh, yeah, and then on top of that, uh, Terry's company, uh, you know, offers a lot of consulting services, stuff to finance companies and to com- companies in the industry. He's been doing that for a very, very long time. So we're very lucky to have Terry here today. Uh, welcome, uh, Terry. Well, thanks, yours. Uh, good to be here. Thanks for all your kind words. Uh, so I've actually known Terry for quite a while uh, myself. And um, so, uh, yeah, how, how are you looking at the industry right now? It's tied largely to product development and manufacturing. And, of course, uh, both are down in across mo- most sectors. Uh, you know, there are ex- exceptions. I think the military is still doing pretty well. Defense, uh, bicycle manufacturing is up. Uh, so there's a few, I think, medical devices, although elective uh, surgeries, probably not as much. But uh, overall, it, it is down. And, and But it will come back. I think it will come back uh, in a strong double digits. It may take uh, a year or so for that to occur, but uh, it'll be back in a big way. Okay. So we thought in 2000, like the last recession, the greater recession, I don't know what we would be calling it now, uh, like in 2007, 2008, we saw, you know, all the product development stuff took a big hit. All the new product introductions, that kind of thing. AAC took a big hit. Uh, but a lot of stuff tried, John, do you think it'll be sector specific this or just going to be a more, you know, really specific kind of slowdown for certain people or... Well, I think the sectors I named uh, are, are being uh, impacted, some favorably and, and some most not. Uh, I, I think we'll see pent-up demand in certain mm-hmm. sectors like automotive and maybe some consumer products, uh, mm-hmm. like I say, some of these elective things and discretionary spending, uh, certainly mm-hmm. capital equipment uh, investments. And so, uh, you know, I, I think it will be um, different for sure than it has been up uh you know, through last year and uh, early parts of this year, which, uh, which which were very, very strong. Yeah, it's, it's it also this weird, the last weird time is like, I've known, I know people that have never been busier than now, uh, service bureaus in particular niches and stuff. And of other people that are just like, I'm like crickets, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's an odd time, you know, and a lot of people working from home and trying to get adjusted to it. Uh, you know, some people are loving it, some are not. Uh, some have that urge to travel. I love to travel and I haven't been on a plane since February, so that's a little odd. But yeah, overall, it's a very, very uh, different time. Have you seen any change in the desktop 3D printer market? Uh, given that people are working at home, are there any requirements now for some developers to, has there been an increase in people trying to get home 
printers, basically desktop printers. You know, you could be right, Max. I really honestly don't know. I don't know that we've seen any sort of quantitative analysis of, uh, you know, it's all been anecdotal. Right. Uh, some uh, demand for materials that have not been there, you know, namely thermoplastic filaments for the desktop systems, but I don't know if that's been significant. It might be company specific. So overall, I, I wouldn't say it has really been, uh, you know, I, I would say this, that any, any decline that we've seen from the, the pandemic, we may have seen some increase from, like you say, people running machines from their home offices, but uh, I, I doubt we've seen a, a significant uh, uptick in that. And generally, you would expect, okay, you said it before, you expect things to bounce back and us to grow again, uh, but perhaps in a couple of months or something like that. Do you, do you think we'll, 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 we'll... I think he said a year. Yeah, I didn't say a couple <laughs> months. You did not say a couple months. <laughs> he said a year. <laughs> yeah. Is that going to, like, mean that we're going to, because cause we are hearing a lot of supply chain resilience stuff. And we are hearing a lot of people look at us from a point of increasing supply chain resilience and stuff like that. Is that... Is that also, you think that might lead to more business or a different kind of business if people do reshoring and things like that, or you don't really believe in that? Uh, what do you mean by supply chain resilience? You mean as a result of the pandemic or what? what yeah, uh... as a result of the pandemic, like, uh, like as a result of the pandemic, people are not realizing that their supply chains are a bit more intertwined than they thought. Uh, and that the, I've been asked like just, just like by two people to be on like a supply chain audit type of a thing to look at like the resilience of people's supply chains and to see if like, you know, if there's something that 3d printing could play, for example, so I mean, the, that, that's, that's something that is happening. And I'm just, that's again, like you said, that's anecdotal. Is that something that you think is more going to be a trend or you don't think it's a, it's a, it has legs? Well, I, I think the pandemic has exposed supply chain gaps. And, and so companies have looked at, you know, how can, can we make our supply chains more resilient to these kinds of uh, major catastrophic uh, problems that occur? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, companies absolutely are looking at this uh, problem and, and trying to address it. And in some ways, additive manufacturing can, can help. You know, in the case of uh, personal protection equipment, uh, we've seen a number of, of uh, organizations, even individuals, building parts. I, I read just uh, recently, HP alone and its network of providers uh, has supplied 2.3 million parts. And that's just one, one company. You know, I can name you know, many where they supplied 20,000 here or 16,000 there. And, you know, a very long list of, of companies. And, and I think in, in all of that, most, I should say, really has been as a result of uh, distributed manufacturing and, and the, um, the ability for people to respond quickly with, um, with additive manufacturing machines. And once you have designs, you can manufacture quickly. And so we've seen a lot of that. And, and so that's, that's exciting. It really is. What, what I wasn't seeing enough of, I thought I thought was really strange, is, is first off that people weren't inventing new things. So I saw a very few people come up with completely new inventions. It was like basically a mask or a new way to make a mask or something. And what I also thought was a bit weird, that there was very few kind of bridge tooling uh, going on, very few people going, looking at, for example, 3D printed thermoforming inserts, something we do a lot of already for Invisalign and stuff. And I was thinking that would be possible solutions for masks and stuff to look at that tooling more. And then were you surprised that that wasn't really happening? Like people were just directly printing parts and then and not going to the, the, the kind of mass or semi-mass production 
uh, processes using 3D printing? Yeah, I think people do what they know, and, and tooling is another animal. You know, you, people mm -hmm. spend not just years but decades learning how to to produce molds and dyes and other forms of tooling. So it's not something that most people can do easily. So mm -hmm. I think in the background, we, we've that, that that is going on. But it, but you know, your reference to to invention, uh, I would I would have to disagree to some degree okay. there. We we've seen a number of interesting uh, open source efforts around ventilator designs, emergency ventilators, not the high-end types right. that you have in a hospital. Uh, some of the interesting work around nasal swabs, we've seen some really cool, interesting designs there. Uh, and in some other areas too, around face masks, masks, for example, using a conventional material for most of it, but then printing just a part uh, that, that fits around your, your mouth and, and face. I guess it'd go around your nose and all the way around. But in any case, it would be you know, minimal amount of printing time. And that's the part that uh, fastens down the, uh, the soft uh, uh, fabric mm -hmm. material that, uh, of course, is used to filter out or, uh, you know, for what its purpose is made for. Yeah. And, and, and do you think, so, so typically we're seeing as AM, we're seeing as being kind of a, maybe a faster technology, but at the same time, we're seeing as a more expensive technology. Per part, we're always seen as being more expensive. And I've had a lot of problems where, where you try to pitch AM to a new customer and they're always like, yeah, but the, I used to pay $10 for this and now you're asking me to pay 200. You know, are you seeing that, that AM is gonna pay up, you know, even if we don't scale and even if we don't, you know, well, we can scale to a certain extent, of course, but even if we wouldn't be able to reduce costs so much, do you think that, that, that AM can still play a role in manufacturing? Do you think there's cases where we could be more expensive and still deliver more value? Well, it all comes down to, to, to volume and size of the product too. But you say that it's faster. Well, it, it can be faster in relatively low quantities because you don't have the lead times of conventional manufacturing. And so if you need a few parts or even maybe a few hundred parts, even thousands if the parts are small enough, the size of my thumb, uh, yeah, you can maybe get there more quickly by additive manufacturing. So uh, it really depends on the situation. It's largely on a case-by-case -case basis, meaning that, you know, you have to look at the, the project. Does it make sense to use conventional manufacturing versus uh, additive to, to produce the, the part? I'm just wondering if uh, in the market as a whole for additive manufacturing and the printers, companies, in general, do you think that there's going to be some consolidation going on over the next year or so? Or do you see some people being shaken out because of this whole thing? Or do you think it's reasonably steady given uh, most of these companies are not public? <laughs> yeah, yeah, good question, Max. Uh, I, I, well, we've seen a lot of consolidation over the last few years. Right. Uh, we've seen a lot of startup companies. And of course, uh, a lot of these companies, uh, especially when investors are involved, they're looking for exit strategies. And of course, that's usually through an M&A, mergers and acquisitions type of a deal. So, uh, you know, that's that's the plan from, from day one, or at least early in a company's life. And I, I think the pandemic will accelerate that. Uh, not necessarily investment, but certainly uh, an exit strategy where companies are maybe, uh, you know, the, the plan isn't uh, being executed as they had envisioned, due to the current uh, economic conditions. So uh, absolutely, and, and we're seeing you know, hundreds, maybe even thousands of startup companies, uh, software companies, web-based companies around the world uh, associated with additive manufacturing. And that's, that's, that's great. Uh, e even without uh, an acquisition, it's inevitable you know, 
history shows that a relatively small number of startups make it. Right. You know, it's in the range. It depends on the, it's by country. I mean, some countries do better than others. Uh, Germany is higher than the U.S., but then I think that's because the U.S. has so many more startup companies than a country like Germany. You know, with things are ripe. I mean, we were born and, and raised to, to think about, you know, come up with innovative ideas and start a company and very it's very easy to start a, start a company in the u.s compared to a country like germany very easy and so that's why i think we see a, a, a lower success rate here in the u.s is because there's so many uh, that uh, are launched and do you think i mean just generally do you think what is what is holding us back as a market i mean if, if we are looking at like if we are going to look at consolidation if we are going to look at maybe some some a period of rationalization in the market you know what are the real challenges that should we should be solving what's holding back our market let's see so what's holding us back uh, a number of, of factors let's say the conditions are normal let's say we're sitting at mid 2019 for example uh, what was holding things back then uh, i would say that uh, cost would be near the top of the list top cost of machines and materials now especially uh, that's especially true when you ramp up into higher volumes the material becomes a bigger part of the total cost of a part uh, related to cost is speed if a machine is twice as fast that's like getting two machines for the price of one so so processing speed is important too a part of that speed is post-processing so if you have parts that require a lot of manual labor that drives the cost up enormously and a part of that is uh, support material and so and then a part of support material is design so how do you design to use the least amount of support material and or maybe even in some cases very little or no support material i've seen parts where you can do that uh, even metal parts and and so all of that is sort of intertwined into the, the cost and speed and throughput throughput of a, of a part and I, I tell you very few companies will bring on a brand new manufacturing process when it costs significantly more even if it costs the same as conventional manufacturing it's hard to sell that uh, inside a company. So it has to have significant benefits, cost being at the top uh, of the list, speed, agility, being able to mix up uh, you know, conventional manufacturing. If you're building a part, you're building that one part, you know, over and over and over again. With additive manufacturing, if you're building a thousand parts in a single build, let's say you're using a powder bed system, you're building a thousand parts at one time, each one of those parts can be different. You can't do that conventional. So there's some, you know, in terms of custom manufacturing and personalization, uh, or just being able to have the flexibility to, uh, to, to, to manufacture a wide variety of parts. I mean, that, that offers some real, real benefits. Uh, I would say the biggest though, or one of the biggest uh, after costs would be design. Really being able to, if you can cons consolidate many parts into fewer parts, uh, 50 parts into one, that has enormous implications on, uh, on manufacturing. I mean, think about each of the manufacturing processes that is tied to uh, a single part. If you can eliminate many of those processes and then all of the inventory and assembly, maintenance, uh, repair, and so forth, that the certification paperwork in the case of uh, aerospace, medical devices, even automotive, that needs to track every single operation in a part, whether it's a, a screw thread or, or whatever. And so that's all about design and design tools and, and know-how. 
And that's a big, big obstacle because companies, they want to build a business case and adopt it for production. But before they can do that, they need to do this cost analysis. And, and that, that means really taking it down the road of, of design or redesign. And that takes a commitment. That means new tools, training, not even knowing for sure if it's going to if it's going to work out for them. So that, those are the among the, the, the biggest obstacles that I see to uh, much bigger growth uh, worldwide in this industry. I was just going to say, do you think there's not enough people that are familiar enough with the design process for additive manufacturing or 3D printing in order to take advantage of it yet? Or do you well, think, yeah. yeah. Uh, or do you think the software is too much of a pain in the ass? <laughs> well, the software is not easy, uh, necessarily easy, but you know, if you can run your favorite CAD software, you can usually run these other tools that, that go along. And, and CAD is often used for uh, you know a lot of the, the work. So... Um, yeah, I think um, to answer your original question about the uh, you know the number of people that really have that uh, the, the skills and know how to do it, uh, you know, it's probably less than one percent of the entire engineering workforce. Yeah, uh, could even be less than that. But now it's growing, and, and it's company specific. I mean, if you take GE Aviation, that's a whole lot different than you know some small or medium-sized company that is just dabbling in it now. So it, it really does vary. And do you think that, so So we've been hearing DFAM as like this kind of magical buzzword designed for additive manufacturing that all of a sudden software and stuff are going to, it's going to solve everything. And you guys give courses in that kind of thing. So I guess you must really think that's an obstacle that's, that's worth traveling and stuff. And I, what are things that you have to look at when you're doing design for additive manufacturing or retraining people to do it? Well, you know, we often think about the, the, the more obvious things like, uh, you know, part consolidation. I mean, those are the, that's the low hanging fruit. And, you know, things like lightweighting through topology optimization, which is really letting mathematics decide where to put the material to optimize the strength to weight ratio of a, of a part. And, and things like, uh, you know, cellular type structures and through, you know, to lightweight and, and uh, lattice structures and so forth. And, and those are all, all great, but, but it's not only those things. It's also things like what's the, the thinnest wall you can produce with this particular uh, material and process? What, what is the sm smallest hole that you can clear uh, of liquid or powder? And, and if it's a straight hole, that's one thing. What about the length? What, what if it's a convoluted uh, hole? You know, in terms of it's a, you know, it's it's not a straight hole, and so those are the kinds of issues too that need to be considered if you're going to design for additive manufacturing. So those are the kinds of things that we we cover in the courses, and it's very you have to be very specific. You can't just generalize in terms of hole size and threads and so forth. Uh, you've got to be very specific to the process and material. And you think you think you know you were talking a bit about cost before and trying to get companies to adopt it for manufacturing. I've always found that a challenge. Have you found ways of like, cause if you look at parts consolidation, it's clear there are financial benefits there, right? We make a lot less parts, a lot less tracking. There's a lot of capital actually that a regular company has tied up in its supply chain and its warehouses and stuff. Have you found ways of trying to make that kind of accessible to like the C level, like the finance people and saying, Look, you've got X billion, or you've got X percentage of your money that's like free cash flow pent up in 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 your your supply chain. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 not an easy problem. That's why more more companies haven't adopted this for production. It's just not easy. 
you know, if you look at it on the surface, it's like, oh yeah, we can do this. And then you start peeling the layers away and you find, wow, this, this is uh, not as simple. You first have to understand what it costs to do it conventionally. But once you consolidate two parts into one, if it can be done, because they, they have to be of like, the, the two adjacent parts need to be of like materials or a different material that could be substituted that would, would work for, for both of the, the function of those two parts. But those, those kinds of issues need to be worked through. And so suddenly it, it, it takes that engineering effort and that know-how and the software tools to, to make it happen. And so you're, you're really making a commitment to determine whether or not it makes sense for your company. So that's why these things get stalled. I mean, we've, we've seen a number of projects where they, they start down this path and then it just comes to a screeching halt because it's like, wow, this has taken a, a big commitment and we don't even know where this is going to end up. What do you see as the biggest growth uh, areas within? I mean, whilst I understand that things are declining for 20 20, but um, where do you think within that decline are, are positive spots or spots that we can potentially see some growth within 3D printing? Yeah, I think uh, we'll, we'll see some good growth in the oil and gas, you know, power generation sector. Uh, they are, uh, I think, close on the tails of aerospace and medical devices in terms of adoption for uh, production applications. Uh, it's exciting to see the consumer products too, like the eyewear, footwear, uh, you know, a lot of uh, app-based uh, where you can measure your foot, your face, and order up uh, you know, products in that way. Uh, I've gotten into bicycles a lot, both mountain biking and uh, road biking, and seeing some custom parts like the, the, the seats that can be made. Yeah. And I have one on order, and I'm looking forward to seeing if it does improve comfort and maybe performance. Uh, we'll see. I'm not, uh, well, we'll find out. Uh, but those kinds of products, I think, are, are, are interesting. Also, I think, uh, you know, the, some of the non-technical products, the um, jewelry, the sculptures, those kinds of things. Of course, much of that is more discretionary, and people are, are not uh, spending money these days. But... Uh, you know, I, I, they're not regulated uh, like uh, a lot of products. So, and, and almost anyone can get into that and, and produce products. So I think we'll continue to see that grow in the future. Uh, medic, the medical industry, if you look metal and, and dental, uh, those two combined, is they are really big uh, in terms of uh, so many dental applications and a growing number of medical. And I, I expect uh, we, all, we always need healthcare. And, uh, and if, if you can build a good business case around producing and offering better healthcare through additive manufacturing, that I think uh, we'll we'll see that uh, continue to grow as well. And in these sectors, are you, are you surprised maybe like at some things not happening? I mean, like to me, like for example, on the one hand, with uh, if we're looking at the hearing aids, right? We super dominate the in the ear hearing aid market, and there's still an ultimate ears, and some companies use uh, through. Uh, uh, additive to to uh, to make hearing aid or to make uh, headphones, right? There still hasn't been like you know some some major company coming in and making customized headphones for everyone, right? So there's things that are really adjacent to the stuff we're already doing. It's really well understood. Uh, you know, custom mouth guards, for example, that's essentially the same thing Invisalign is doing the production process. There are some companies that are doing it, but it's still it's to me, it's, it's really strange that these kind of things are taking too long. I can understand that if you want to, 
you know, make a new orthopedic implant that would take a long time. But just this kind of stuff is just like, the, yeah, this is a bit strange to me that it's taking this long. Yeah, it's largely driven by cost and, and, and price. You know, in the case of the hearing aids, you know, if you order a hearing aid today, a chance, 90, better than 90% chance that it'll be 3D printed. The, the, the shell part of it, the, the custom and more, more most difficult part of the, of the hearing aid. And you'll be paying a couple thousand dollars plus for those hearing aids. You're not going to charge anything close to that for... Uh, a pair of uh, earphones that you can get uh, on Amazon for, you know, $30 uh, or yeah. less. So, you know, that's, uh, that, that's, that's the difficulty is, you know, companies have tried to do it. We've seen some, uh, one that I, I can uh, think of on the East Coast that uh, try to come up with these custom fit uh, earphones, uh, headphones for, uh, you know, for music, pr principally for music. Yeah. Uh, uh, they, it was great for a while, but then they disappeared. And so it really yeah. doesn't. They tried to FDM though, which I never understood as well. Oh, generally, are you seeing things that? So yeah, we're making tens of millions of metal and tens of millions of polymer dental parts every year, and so there is real legs there. We do do inter, you know, we do do real numbers. Is it taking too long to for that to happen? I mean, yes, cost is an argument. It's difficult as an argument, but but, uh, you know, is it taking too long in your mind or is it just chugging along at a, kind of a nice play, pace? Or? Well, well, two things I can say about that. One is that the industry has grown by more than 20% on average for, for more than 25 years. And in some years, you know, well north of 20%, even last year. And, and so, you know, we need to remind ourselves that it, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's still measured in a few billion dollars. We, we, calculated, estimated just under $12 billion for 2019, all products and services, machines, materials, and services directly tied to uh, additive manufacturing. And so, you know, it, it is uh, still strong. Uh, the, the second is that it, it takes about a human generation for a brand new idea to make it to mainstream, uh, to, to the mainstream. And, and so in the case of hearing aids, uh, that was a brand new, uh, now custom hearing aids were made before additive manufacturing. I don't know if you knew, knew that. We worked on a project with Starkey Laboratories. In fact, it was one of our very first big projects back in 1989 and trying to tr transition the, the, the company uh, to using this technology for, for production. And then uh, they, and all the pieces were in place, but things were kind of clunky. The you know Unix workstations and MS-DOS and laser scanners and software and and the materials, every, everything was there, but not very well. It was, uh, it was like, okay, we're about 10, 15 years too early. Meanwhile, uh, Phonak and, and Siemens got together and they commercialized it and they got the credit for it. But it took a very long time from you know, 1989 to when it really became mainstream. And the same is, has been true in, in other areas where you look at a brand new idea to, um, another example would be the, the printing of medicine. So a company by the name of Therix uh, was printing yeah. medicine about 20 years ago. It was a, yeah. a, a, they, are, they were one of uh, several licensees from the MIT 3D printing technology to, to print liquid binders onto a material. And it took about 20 years for that. Now, uh, um, a company is producing a printed um, 
medicine for uh, epilepsy patients. Uh, I, I, the name escapes me now, but uh, they are a licensee. They are a direct result of that company, Therix. And, and so it, it takes about a human generation for these things to take off, like it or not. You know, uh, PDAs, I don't know if you remember that, but these personal digital assistants that evolved into what we now use as smartphones. And it just, it's a fact that it takes, now some might argue that some of this is shortening. It's not taking quite as long, but it depends on when you, you, you say that it started here and, and now it's in mainstream. And, and, you know, is it a variation of an existing development or is it a brand new idea? So I think we just need to be patient. Do you subscribe to the idea that at one, you know, in a human generation or in two human generations that we'll all have 3D printers in our home? Or do you think that that's somewhat of an unrealistic uh, view? Well, I don't know that any of us really know. I, I certainly don't know for sure. This, this whole idea that, you know, came about, uh, well, it came about a long time ago, but there was a lot of hype in the 2012, right. 2013 time frame, And, and, you know, the, the, the idea being that we won't have just one, but one in every room and we'll be making all of our own products. And I never, ever bought into this ever because, and a number of reasons for that. One is that yeah, design is not easy, but even if the design tools are become better, it's still a hassle to, I mean, I, I've ordered, because of these bikes and that, I've ordered probably 15 new products from Amazon, and I, I receive most of them the next day. Uh, try to design and manufacture a high-quality, reliable product in, yeah. uh, you know, it just and so even if you have a machine in your home, will you have the material? Will you have the expertise? Will it have the surface finish, the strength properties? All these things that you know we we expect. We have uh, you know expectations when we get products that they they work, they function, they're safe, uh, they look good. We're proud of them, and you know it's it's not that easy with uh, 3D printing. Now that's with you know sort of the mainstream products. Could we be making? Uh, could, could they be food printers to make uh, chocolates? I don't know. Right. Maybe, uh, maybe. I think the food specialist, the bakeries down the street or whomever online will be doing that rather than us having food printers. If we, if we have an anniversary or a big event coming up, you know, we will send them a JPEG or even a 3D model if we can get to it. And, and uh, they'll print them and, and deliver those to us, whether the chocolates or candies or something, some, something else. So I don't really... No, but my, I, I'm thinking probably not in my lifetime that we'll see. The exception, though, will be engineers, engineering students, personals, you know, the, the nerd families, you know. Right. Like, uh, yeah, no, no, no. I have one. So, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah we have one right back but, Yeah, here. exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah, so, so you, you have those exceptions, but, exceptions, but, you know, they are a relatively low percentage of the, of the whole. It's interesting. This is like a discussion that, that Terry and I have been having off and on for, for years because I used to write the, the desktop 3D printing section for the Weller's Report. And it was always, Terry's always been kind of more cautious on, on desktop 3D printers than I have. I've been more optimistic, but even I didn't never believe that we'd have them at the, that stage, you know, when they were so difficult. Uh, but I do, I am a little bit more optimistic going forward that, 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 you know, more automation and, and easiness will have it. But I, I don't know if people are you're going to use them for anything. All right, so well, I'm kind of assume Desktop 3D printers are highly profitable, uh, popular and, and successful for companies. Companies are buying them and using them. I mean, I remember years ago, it's probably been close to 10 years ago, 
a Ford executive said, we'll buy a desktop 3D printer for every one of our engineers. If they want one, they, they, they can have one. And so companies of all sizes are buying them. Educational institutions of all types are buying them in big numbers. And then the hobbyists and engineering types that want one in their home are buying them. I'm just saying that the average family or individual probably won't be using one anytime soon. Uh, so I know of a number where they bought bought one back in the 2012 time frame, and they're sitting there collecting dust. They they bought they 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 downloaded a few trinkets. Uh, they 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 struggled to build them, and then now what? And then they just sit there. So that's so. So I'm not uh, a pessimist. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I'm just saying I'm more realistic about how these machines are being. Or I mean, just like a CNC milling machines. They've been around three axis uh, milling machines for $1,500 that sit on a, a bench top have been around for 20 years. Do you have one? Does, if you ask 10 people on the street, ask them, yeah. do they have one? Why not? You can <laughs> mill all kinds of stuff with them. Why not? Well, because they don't want to learn the skills it takes to, to learn how to, to mill a little part. No, oh, but the oh, cost savings on a, making an engineering prototype or model in an office scenario versus going out to the modeling shop every time you want to make a small change it it that's where you're saving money and that's where it makes sense to yeah. iterate through things and try and fail and then be like okay we've got something now to tooling right. yeah <laughs> exactly no that's why it's so valuable they absolutely yeah. are so valuable for engineers and designers to have one close by yeah. I think it's tantalizing that it's kind of the same with computers, right? First, they're only used for businesses and education. So you kind of maybe believe that then the next step is going to be exactly the same. Uh, but at the same time, I have the Singer problem, you know? I mean, I know, you know, we all have, we can have sewing machines. We can buy them. They're like $200 or something. And they're easier to use than 3D printers. And we could make all of our own clothes. And they right. would fit us perfectly. But I don't know anybody that does this, right? Even like friends of mine that are into fashion and stuff, they'll make some stuff. And they'll then buy st other stuff online because they like it or because they like the brands. Right. So I also think, yeah, there's a problem with the pitch, you know, with the whole pitch to the consumer, you know? Yeah. Well, when creativity is required, yeah. you've, I think you've already lost a lot of people in the process. Yeah. So. Yeah. Not only yeah. creativity, but the complexity of the creativity. Now, we right. pulled out our sewing machine. My wife did uh, a couple of weeks ago. Maybe it's been three or so now. And we wanted to make some custom face masks. And she knew, she knew how to sew and I knew how to use the scissors. So we got some, uh, <laughs> the, uh, one was a um, Colorado State University Ram. Uh, you know, yours, you're not from uh, the United States, but you know, these uh, mascots are a big thing here in the US. And, yeah. and so we made a couple of those and then Crown Royal, if you like that particular blend uh, from uh, Canada <laughs> made uh, from the Crown Royal bag that. Uh, oh, nice! That's oh, cute. Yeah. I like that actually. Good yeah, upcycling. Good upcycling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I have a few more to make uh, for uh, a couple of friends here, uh, maybe this afternoon. So, so, uh, so I mean, there are exceptions. That, uh, but you know, using a sew machine and using a three D printer is, you know, in terms of a level of skill and and experience, I think it's pretty pretty far you know the sewing machines down like a one or two level the 3d printers up around mm -hmm. a seven eight level I, mm -hmm. I would say but where where do you see 3d pens in that whole spectrum or in this pens? whole yeah as in you mean like like the, the 3d that, yeah. yeah 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 you know um, i think it's kind yeah, of an interesting creative tool and you know it's been fun to see that develop but i don't I, honestly i don't i don't know anyone that owns one do you have one i invented them 
Oh, you're there. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, my God. All right. Uh, did not know that, Max. Well, congratulations. That's, uh, thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, so you do know somebody to ask one. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. Actually, I know quite a number of people. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, I, you know, I don't know exactly. I haven't. Well, I played one once with one at a at a show. Maybe it was your exhibit. I, I honestly probably <laughs> probably was. And and so it's, it's interesting. I um, it, it's probably and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's probably somewhat of a at least in the beginning a solution looking for a problem. And but maybe you've found some some good problems to solve with it. I have definitely found some good problems to solve with it. Originally, it was created uh, to fix three D prints when three D printers made mistakes. Ah, okay. So cool. to weld pieces together, and then uh, it progressed from there. We we find a lot of uh, other kind of uses, like so. For example, my headphones are three doodled, or my ah, phone case yeah. is like three doodled. Uh, so it's good for it's a great repair tool. Uh, as well as um, it's got a lot of other kind of fun applications. But we we see ourselves in lots of different, like we're in education and we're in mm. all these places where maybe they don't have the technical ability to train everyone on how to use a 3D printer, but using a 3Doodler or a 3D pen is a lot easier and simpler because it's a 15-minute training instead of a three-month training to really get the machines down. You know? So the Doodler is your brand? Mm-hmm, 3Doodler. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, congratulations. That's great. Send Terry one. Uh, <laughs> what? Uh, you should send one to Terry. I yeah. should actually send you one. You'd, you'd, uh, you might find them interesting. There, we found a lot of, of interesting uses for them, and we were seeing a lot of industry uses for them as well. As a pre-step for prototyping, for example, before you use the printer, you, you sketch in 3D or you sketch flat and then join the pieces together, and then look at the object, then go change your modeling first before you do the print, since the printers take so long. In, the, in their editor of prototyping, not in finalized you know, sure, stuff. Yeah. But, yeah. I happily accept. I'll, I, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'll send you one. To, okay, great. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And so generally, we were doing, like before, like two things I want to mark back to. One is like this 3D printed medicine idea. I love this idea of gaplets. Yeah. Also, the name—I don't remember the name either of this company—but they they made gaplets in the medicine, and then the medicine disintegrates faster. And essentially, you can use a compound that you trust and know and love, and it's already been approved. And you can just make yeah, just build it with three D printing, and then you could become a a new product, right? Do you think three D printed medicine? Are you very bullish? Are you very optimistic about the future of that? Or because it is getting a little like a lot less attention than bioprinting and a lot of other stuff. Yeah, no, I am bullish on that. But there again, uh, it's going to take even more than, in this case, 20 years. Uh, Appreciate is the name of the company that I couldn't remember yeah, before. There you go. Yeah. That, uh, Thank you. Yeah, first commercialized uh, drug, and it dissolves quickly in the, the throat for epilepsy patients. And uh, so, I, I mean, you think about the implications of being able to come up with uh, custom drug configurations. The the mm -hmm. in more than one drug at one time, so the outer part of the drug as it dissolves uh, could be one type of drug at the amount, the specific uh, dose that the doctor prescribes, and then it could be further inside, so it could be more of a time release type thing over a period of time, uh, and and really you know very like I say patient specific where your doctor prescribes this medicine, the the printers could be at the the pharmacy or at some other 
the place that is tied to the medical, you know, the healthcare system. And uh, yeah, I think in the future we will, we will see that uh, for sure. It will be more expensive, so we probably won't see the, the, the lower cost mainstream uh, drugs, you know, the aspirin and Tylenols of the world uh, in that way, but the, the, you know, maybe for treating cancer patients or, or other types of uh, treatments, I, I think um, absolutely will happen. Yeah, I mean, the ability to individualize medicine on that level is, uh, is a powerful tool. So I can easily see the medical industry embracing that fully. Yeah. yeah. I also like 3D printed pen or 3D printing pens for that as well. I love that there's an Australian project to make a 3D printed pen to print in the body. Yep. And also just for applying like a skin-like or medicine, topical medicines, especially like for dermatology burns and stuff like that. I love the idea of being able to apply it very locally in a, in a way like that. I think that's a, very interesting as a paradigm. That's right. And I'm just yeah. really excited, but I agree. Now in the sorry, field, like uh, in the military, you know, if you have, uh, you know, scrapes, bruises, gunshot wounds, whatever, you might be able to do some temporary treatment right out in, you know, combat uh, arena. So I think uh, that all has potential. Yeah. And uh, so another thing we were talking about, I mean, you mentioned we were talking a lot about the industry and growth and stuff. I mean, the Wellers report came out, that was recently in March. Um, the new version. I mean, what what were the, you've been talking a little bit about some of the figures. I mean, what's what are some of the highlights of the latest version of the Wallers report? You know, in the beginning, back 25 years ago, the, the industry is very different. The, most of the industry was was very uh, vendor or machine manufacturer um, centric, in, in the sense that we we received a lot of information from them and far fewer real, you know, use cases and applications. Uh, that, that has changed in the last few years, especially the last two years, we really tried to give more focus and, and rightly so to the actual customer applications. And so in the, the edition that Wolves Report uh, 2020 that came out in March has more than 250 examples of additive manufacturing for production uh, applications and we think that is really important because you know you, you learn from what others are doing and you know applications in aerospace can inspire applications in medicine in fact we did a uh, a session on that just yesterday with uh, ASME on that very subject had a person from Boeing from Ford um, uh, also from a, a third company and then myself I chaired it but so so we included uh, you know, we really tried to build out that uh, the last couple of years in the report. But we, we had some interesting discoveries too, and I'll share you know a few with you if if we have the time. Uh, one is uh, investment remains very strong in additive manufacturing. We've been looking at specific investments and trying to, you know, what's the investment for, what's the amount, who made the investment, and when, and documenting those. And that's in the report. We've done that for the, the past two years. Uh, we, we see a lot of interest uh, in innovation around post-processing. You know, how can you uh, reduce it? How can you automate it? And if you can do those two things well, then you, you can, the, the odds of using additive manufacturing for production quantities uh, increases. So uh, we've uh, included more on, on that subject. Uh, and Let's see what else. Uh, patent applications continue to rise. Uh, we mm. saw a little bit of a decline 
I think it was in 2018, but leading up to that year and then after, well, last year in particular, we're, we're seeing a lot of uh, invention and, you know, it's around hardware, software, uh, applications and materials, principally those four areas. And then uh, we're seeing a lot of development around metals, but most of those developments are not the materials themselves, but really around new facilities to support production applications. So companies that say, okay, we've done the design work, we've, we've determined that this makes sense, now we need to support it through, uh, through uh, you know, equipment and, and other processes to support our production needs. And so companies are scaling up big time. Some are, um, in, especially in the aerospace, medical, and so, some related areas. And I'll maybe name one more and then turn it back over to you. Uh, let's see, uh, software developments. Uh, many AM-related software products speak to their importance. In other words, we've, we've documented a long list and we've categorized these software products in the report. And once you start to really dig deeply, you, you begin to, to, to see how many developments are underway around software and all kinds of software tools that help support um, additive manufacturing, not just design tools. Many are, but not all. And you did mention the, the, what, uh, the, the online event you attended. I mean, as, as a business owner, as a consultant, are you going to be doing a lot more of those online events? And, 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 uh, and what are the ones that you're watching? What are the ones you're enjoying? Yeah, I haven't seen too many live, let's see, not live, let's, uh, in person, I guess is probably the best way to put it, uh, events that are scheduled in the, in the coming months. I, I do know maybe a couple later in the fall, winter, winter time frame, but even those, uh, I think we're not sure if they're going to happen. So we've seen, you know, an avalanche of uh, virtual events, webinars and the like. And so, yeah, <laughs> I participated probably in more of those in the last, uh, 30 days or 45 days than I maybe have in you know, the two years prior and, and many are scheduled. We've joined with America Makes. We were a, an early partner, a founding member, a platinum member, and, and a partner of America Makes, which is a national additive manufacturing innovation institute that was launched in 2012. It has uh, uh, approaching 200 members. It's a public-private partnership uh, with Washington, D.C., uh, principally funded by the uh, Department of, De of Defense and some of the biggest brands, but a lot of small companies and universities involved too. In any case, we've joined with them to do a, it's called the, the Game Day Series. And we did our first one a couple of weeks ago. We had people from the uh, FDA, NIH, and um, the VA uh, attend and participate as panelists, and I uh, moderated. And so the second one's coming up uh, later in June, I think it's June 18th, uh, we, we just put out some uh, information, I think it was yesterday on it. And so it's a series of four of these uh, virtual events really focused on additive manufacturing. Each one will have a, a specific theme. The first one was on, uh, on personal protecting, uh, protection equipment, principally that, uh, the response to the pandemic. Uh, this next one is really on uh, supply chain gaps and distributed, distributed manufacturing and you know how additive manufacturing can uh, address uh, the need for uh, or opportunity uh, for uh, distributed manufacturing and supply chain problems. So, so those are, you know, that's, that's an example of an event that uh, or series of events that uh, we are very excited to participate in.
Uh, so Terry, thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you so much for all the information you gave us and shared uh, with our community and stuff. And thanks a lot. If you want to come on again another time, it'd be wonderful to have you again. And uh, we'll probably see each other at some webinar, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, maybe in real life again, you know, <laughs> we don't let's know. hope so. Let's yeah. Hope. Right, let's all hope so. <laughs> yeah. Better than later. Uh, thanks so, so much for it. Terry. And, uh, yeah, guys, this is the 3d pod and, uh, hope you enjoy this episode. And, uh, my name is Joris Peels and, uh, I was here today with Terry Wellers and, uh, uh of course, Max. Yeah. Thanks right. for joining Terry. It was great to chat with you. Max and yours. Really a privilege. Thanks. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint.com.